welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer. Our stories, our passions, our experiences, what makes us us, and what that representation means to us. So today I have a super special guest. I'm super excited to be talking to her. I'm just going to let her introduce herself. Hello, my name is Lisa Franklin. I'm a writer and comedian. I live in New York, and um, I write the online comic, My Two Lesbian Aunts. Which I absolutely adore. I have found myself laughing at the most ridiculous things, and I just, (laughs) I have no words for myself. There are no excuses. It's just hilarious. Well, thank you. I think that's the reception I deserve, (laughs) (laughs) not the one I always get. Most definitely. So if you had to describe this comic to someone who's never heard of it before, how would you describe Mm -hmm. it? I do that often because most of the world has never heard of it before. (laughs) But mostly the the title does a lot of the work for me. Um, I say I write a comic strip. It's called My Two Lesbian Ants. Usually people either like giggle at that or go, oh, cute. And then I go, yeah, ants, like the bugs. And they go oh like the bugs and I say yeah um and but basically if they wanted more information than that it's just it's like a four panel comic strip with um very simple art where uh there's just two gay bugs having a little conversation with each other um so that's pretty much how I how I tend to describe it It reminds me a lot of Sunday comics, like, um, it reminds me a whole lot of the Peanuts comics. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's the goal. I, I read, I used to read the Sunday funnies, um, obsessively when I was a kid. My, I had a grandmother who lived in Florida, and I was living in New York City, and, um, I didn't, I don't know the, the the papers of record here don't really have good funny pages. Um, so my grandma used she, for a couple of years, she would mail me the comics from her like local newspaper every week, just cause she knew I really liked reading them. Um, oh, wonderful grandma. Oh yeah. She's great. Uh, for only that reason. <laughs> no, she is really lovely, but yeah. So I loved the funnies. I was really, really into the comic strip Foxtrot. If you know that. You will have to explain that to me. I live under a rock. Um, oh, it's—I mean, it's just a comic strip. It's, but it's. Um, oh, it's a literal—it's a literal comic strip. Okay, I thought it was like yeah. a movement or something. I'm thinking oh, too no, hard no, into no, this. Oh no, no, sorry. Yeah, no, it's not like Dadaism. It's just—it's a—it's the name of a, a comic strip that's been around since the '80s. Um, now the writer only does one a week, but it used to be a daily. And yeah, it's just like it's—it's. It's, um, very simple, cute art, um, really just like, it's, it's all character-based jokes, so like there's, it's about a family, uh, straight parents, but I let it go, and then two (laughs) sons and a daughter, (laughs) um, and, but what, what I love about it, when uh, most comic strips do that, but I just really loved Foxtrot when I was a kid, is like, every joke is about one of the characters, or sometimes two just like demonstrating their personality in a different situation. Um, so if the little brother's a nerd, you know, the joke ends up being how he managed to be nerdy during a snow uh, snowball fight. Or 
if the uh, sister is um, like she there's a lot of jokes about like how much she loves eating ice cream which is kind of funny but like the like the ways she manages to do that or like the brother is a terrible athlete so like you know that and and just all sorts of things but um yeah so I loved Foxtrot I used to read Calvin and Hobbes a lot um and then when I got a bit older a comic strip called Pearls Before Swine oh yeah um, I know that one but I think yeah mostly what I got from that is like I love the the tempo of a four panel joke like the there's a really specific um there's just like a rhythm to the joke that it's you know you sort of start with a premise and then the next panel is like someone's immediate first thought on that premise and then often someone asks a question and then the resolution is something like slightly unexpected but then when it happens in theory the reader's like oh of course that makes sense but I wouldn't have thought of it and now I'm laughing um I love so, those yeah. jokes. So, thank you for saying it. Uh, seems like a, a Sunday comic. That's sort of my goal. It it really it really feels like it. Like I would read them and I would be like, this would be like something that'd be like read under Garfield. So, uh, yes. You that, don't like that... Garfield? Was that what that noise no, was? No, 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 <laughs> no. That was irreverent. I was about to say because I was like gonna have to end this podcast if you didn't like Garfield. I'm no, joking. Garfield. I'm joking. Garfield occupies. I mean, I would understand it. He he occupies a very odd cultural space right now. Like, Does I don't he? know if you know. I don't yes. know. Tell me. Fill me in. I'm going to feel really <laughs> sad if this is... Go ahead. No, it's... it's uh, Just Garfield has become, like... I don't know what it... There, there are certain... People just love drawing, like, really buff pictures of Garfield and Jim. And, like... But it's like it's like a comedy thing, but it's also not a comedy thing. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen people do like parody drawings of like certain like like Pokemon. I've seen this one person draw a bunch of Pokemon in the style of Garfield, like mm. as Garfield as those Pokemon, and it's terrifying. Yeah, I I just I can't exactly describe it, but Garfield just occupies this like sphere of cultural influence where. Um, I don't know. He's kind of like an instant punchline in weirder comedy circles. Um, but anyway, That's so it's, it's really an honor to to be thought of in the same sentence. Well, I uh, I have a long history with Garfield throughout my life, yeah. and that's why when you were talking about it, I was like, "Tell me this thing that I haven't even thought of," because I I've never thought of looking at the culture in Garfield. I've always just thought of it as that childhood thing that I would read all the time and it's just like it just puts it right under there as the two most important things in my life wow <laughs> yeah no I mean that's healthy I no one who's thinking about Garfield outside of the context that like Jim Davis has written him in should be doing that <laughs> 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 I I can't even um I wish I I wish I could explain there's just there's like a seedy underbelly of the internet entirely dedicated to um, ruining Garfield <laughs> in really specific ways. That's really um, strange to hear and really heartbreaking. It's so weird. Like, I hope I never find any of these people's posts. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, I could. I kind of feel compelled to tell you about. Well, okay, so you can edit this out. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> if I'm it's not, boring, I'm but. Not. <laughs> But 
there's I think it was the do you know the blog io9 they're like a tech blog I'm um, not sure to be honest there's so many things I was into on the internet I don't remember half of them anymore they're anyway they're it was either them or gizmodo or it, one of those like you know kinja network internet uh covering websites but they used to have a column called fan fiction friday oh my god i do remember that you god, do so that for the guy my life he, he would read like this most bizarre pieces of fan fiction that had ever been sent that i mean that had been submitted to him and like it's all coming back to me now so yeah, so he reads through them and then he sort of interrupts, he like copies and pastes the story, but then interrupts it with his own commentary. Um, and there's, I think, I think it was rated as the number one strangest thing that he's ever read for Fan Fiction Friday it was <laughs> a piece where Garfield comes and interrupts the royal wedding um, of what? William and Kate to like... <laughs> to like whisk away Kate Middleton. I mean, um, I would do the same thing, but what? It's it's like Garfield as Rambo plus Royal. I mean, it's so funny. I don't it's one of the funniest things I've ever read, but it's like this is this is Garfield now. <laughs> oh no. This is why everyone hates millennials because we <laughs> did that to Garfield. Oh my god. I'm sorry, we're keeping this. What? I mean, yeah, you're welcome, listeners. I mean, now you know. The fact that that beat out the one where somehow Wolverine gave birth to Optimus Prime, I don't know. <laughs> that, that I don't know if I read that one. You don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to avoid, I was really into reading that column, like, I think when I was in college and I... But yeah, I didn't find the aggressively sexual ones that fun. No. Um, but but yeah, Garfield just, oof. I think there was the one game. about Jesus and Hitler, but that might have been one my friend found all by herself and decided there... she wanted to read to us. And I was like, please stop. <laughs> I distinctly remember, I don't know if this is what you're thinking of. There's one of Goku and Anne Frank. Um, <laughs> I don't think I read that one. That sounds like the but craziest. It... Okay. Maybe I'm doing the writer justice, but I, I don't think it was, like, discussed. I think it was just bizarre. It was just, like, a weird, uh, not comic, um, story about how Goku and Anne Frank were friends. Um, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be pretty mad being friends with someone that powerful and still dying in an attic during the <laughs> Yeah, you would think you would help her out. I don't know. I, in any case. Oh, God. The internet's a treasure trove. Good God. Okay. Let's... How, where do we go from here? You can pivot. Just, how just do you, pivot how do you away. follow up Go, Goku and Anne Frank? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So what made you want to start with comics? That's a good place to go. That's a good place to go. Um, it, you know, I wish I had like a succinct and interesting answer for that, but it really is, I think with a lot of the... I mean, maybe I'm generalizing, but I think a lot of the times when people make art, like, you just sort of passively absorb something enough times in your life that it, like, becomes the place where when you start thinking, oh, what would be interesting, then your brain is like, that thing, you love that thing. So 
So, like I said, I just read so many comic strips for so many years. Um, I have, I still have dozens of collections of, like, book collections of Foxtrot and Calvin and Hobbes and Zitz and a couple other things. Um, and so I was just, I was visiting um, a friend of mine uh, and we, she was like, you want to go to a cafe and draw? She's an artist. This was a couple of years ago. And I was like, all right. So I, I couldn't that. really think of anything. And so I just started doodling these ants. And then because I, I am a comedian, I was like, well, I'll make up uh, in wit what I lack in artistic integrity. Um, <laughs> so I just sort of, and I was, we were in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and at the time, when I was visiting a couple years ago, there was a, a national referendum on gay marriage. Um, the government, it, the, the parliament rather, um, in Australia basically like they sent out a mail, uh, like postal survey to every uh, citizen asking them, do you want us to address the issue of same-sex marriage? kind of as a stall tactic, um, hoping that too many people would be apathetic, not bother to return it, and then they wouldn't have to vote on it. But all of my friends were talking about it at the time. So I just sort of was doodling these little bugs and having them chat about like gay marriage. Um, and yeah, and then I, I showed it to my friends there and they all were like, this is funny, you should keep doing that. Um, and at the time I was working as a high school teacher. Uh, so that was my summer break. And when the year started, I was just sick of having a full school year go by where I think of myself as a comedy writer, but I don't end up producing anything because a lot of projects are sort of on a large scale that I don't have time to do during the school year. So I was like, I guess I can just keep drawing these ants and I have time to write one dumb joke a day. So yeah, so I just sort of, I started doing it on my computer and threw it online. You were in Australia? Yes, um, I, I lived there. I did my last semester of college over there about five years ago. And then I lived there for a few months after that. And so I was back visiting my friends there. Big fan. You know, Australia is a crazy country, in my opinion. I mean, I've talked to other Australians, and they agree with me. It's crazy over there. I mean, it's wacky. I what's the something that like was just so strange about it? It's a humongous. I mean, it's it's a continent like the size of the United States, essentially, but it has like eight cities, and that's it. And so much of what's in between is like farmland and desert. And and um, I was it's it's like hard to pinpoint but it really just affects you differently like when like I, I had a friend from Melbourne visiting and we made a list of every city in the U.S. the size of the smallest city in Australia and larger and it was like two pages long you know I don't know it's just it's a very sparsely populated place I guess I mean but with yeah. all the things out there trying to kill you I get it right yeah um, but Melbourne's cool. It's a very artsy city. And I definitely never, 
never would have started this comic strip had I not spent a month hanging out with all of my like artist and poet friends over there and uh, feeling both like excited and jealous that they were doing so much creative stuff and I wasn't. Oh, well, I'm very, I'm very glad that you did start it. I'm glad that you, you stuck with it. That's so amazing. Thank you. I am, I'm glad too. It's, um, you know, it's one of those things where like, I, I don't, sometimes I'll look back at older strips and I don't even remember writing them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think th- this is the other thing when you, when you want to produce this big thing, of any type of creative sort, like it can feel so intimidating and it, and it's so easy to get lost in the planning of something and the talking about it. But, um, what's been really nice about this comic is it's just one little thing a day. So if you just sort of put your head down and do it, you can accumulate this like somewhat large body of work. Um, that's much more impressive as a whole than anything individually is. Um, so I've been trying to like adopt that in other writing that I do. That's cool. So have you always wanted to do comedy writing? No. Um, no, I just really started in college. I, um, I basically my, my freshman year of college, I went to a liberal arts college where everybody joined a club in their first couple weeks of school and I just couldn't find a club that really fit for me and I'd gone to see the student stand-up comedy club's performance during orientation and was blown away by how funny it was and it kind of stuck with me and then I was on a date actually which was the first date I ever went on with a girl (laughs) and it was um fine but (laughs) She asked, she was also a freshman, and she was like, what clubs are you joining? And I kind of panicked, and I wanted to sound cool, so I was like, oh, I'm going to join the stand-up comics. And then she was like, that is so cool. And that was great, but then also bad. And and then I found out that the stand-up comics uh, were an audition-based group. So I was like, oh, God, I have to audition now, and also I have to get in. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I just wrote... I wrote a a joke about the fact that I wear bifocal glasses and I auditioned with it and they took me and it was sort of, it was a really slow, uh, like four year journey from there of just doing really stupid comedy with my friends in college (laughs) and then slowly watching them graduate and get professional comedy writing jobs and then kind of thinking, oh, maybe I can do that. My goodness, going with the flow. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I, um, I've always been a person who has really, um, eclectic hobbies. So really, yeah, I mean, just, just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I tend to find everything interesting as evidenced by like my passion for Garfield memes. So like, (laughs) um, it's tough. Like I, I think, um, I was never, I was never really someone who during my whole life was like, I only want to do this. Like I just, I had a lot of hobbies and I, for a little while I thought I was going to be a pastry chef. Um, yeah, it was fun. I, yeah, I spent a couple of years working in that industry and, um, yeah, 
I don't know. I majored in um, Latin, like the dead language in college. So it's I'm really just a collection of non uh, like skills that won't ever help you in an apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, accounting's not going to help you in apocalypse either. That's true, but also not true. There's a lot of I. That's no, no, no. It might not help you in the first. Um, like month of an apocalypse but if you get on and then there's a question of like well we've survived the purge and now there's resources to deal with and like systems to set up and society to rebuild I mean you seem to be in charge of course I've thought about this I think (laughs) at this point you should know that (laughs) I think about weird things uh with frequency yeah I am I'm, I, my friend uh, had me watch The Walking Dead a couple years ago, and ever since I watched, like, a couple seasons of that show, I just can't stop imagining apocalypse scenarios. It's a very visceral television show. I mean, it's, I think everyone just thinks about the apocalypse all the time, because everyone's already always telling us that the world's going to end. I mean, if we don't think about it, what are we going to do when it actually happens? <laughs> Right, right. And it's honestly more fun to imagine, like, what would I do if Bird Box was real than it is to imagine, like, what am I going to do in the 20 year decline of clean water around the country as society slowly runs out of resources? Very depressing indeed. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that I completely understand that for sure. Do you have an apocalypse plan? Oh, God. I live in the middle of nowhere as it is. So, well, that's good. Anything shy of like, I don't know. Maybe the only thing I would really worry about is our resources going out because we never have food in our fridge. We just, mm. we just don't. And I think it's because we're both, like, me and my wife are both the people that eat when we're bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we don't really have a lot of food in the fridge. And she doesn't like to cook. And I'm, I'm gone a lot of times, and I don't feel like cooking when I get home. So it's like freezer mills, and that's it. <laughs> right. So if if you weren't prepared when when disaster struck, then so I think we would be able to be fine because if it's disease, you know, we don't live a lot, around a lot of people, so we're probably not going to catch it. If it's if it's oh God, what are the other horses of the apocalypse? I don't even remember anymore. Well, there's zombies. <laughs> well, I also still don't live around a lot of people, and we're in Texas. acid rain. Oh. Though I yeah, don't no, have it's, any guns, it, so I guess yeah. I would be in trouble. It is good to be in a sparsely populated area, though. That's that. Yeah. That's really what will get you. I think famine's going to be what gets us first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, it's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know which one we're pretty sure we're going to die of. Yeah. And what about you? You're in, you live in New York. Have you always I lived do. in New York? I have, except for when I was in college and in Australia. Um, but yeah, I grew up here. Um, so I've only like... realized what that does to a person in the last couple of years. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, What'd no, you say? no, no. What you were about to say is far more interesting. Do tell. <laughs> do tell. No, it's just a very wacky place to grow up. Everything from like, I, I fundamentally misunderstood the geography of a normal city until a couple of years ago. Like I kept traveling to places and saying wow it's you know it I thought it was a city but it's just a bunch of buildings off of a highway and (laughs) like learning that that's really what cities are um 
and and just the condensed nature of everything the there's yeah I also like have a disconnect from from nature like I um I never carved a pumpkin or really like build made a snowman or um would go hiking or camping or like I there's a lot of um just random childhood seasonal experiences that people are always surprised I don't know anything about. Um, I learned to drive when I was 22. Um, just things like that. And But then also culturally, I don't know, growing up in New York turns you into sort of a specific person or a variety of specific people. Um, really but I liked it. I, I haven't heard that concept before. Yeah. Yeah. People, people who are, who grew up in New York city are, are cool, but also, I don't know. (laughs) I would say we're cool, but it's, I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's, um, uh, I, I don't know if I can put my finger on it, but you just sort of grow up faster. Um, there's something about the idea of like the culture around you is, a city full of people who are available. Like it's impossible to have a day where you're not interacting with so many other things. Whereas I feel like a lot of suburban culture or like life in smaller cities can consist more of like you live in a bubble of your own making um, and you have more control over like the either the perspectives you experience or just the like activities you do like it's not that like people in New York do live in a bubble but it's a different kind of bubble I don't know no Um, I I get what you're saying because I mean we have certain places here that you you can't buy liquor after noon on Sunday mm. weird weird religious thing even for liquor stores that aren't religious like it's I couldn't even begin to explain the culture here it's ridiculous yeah, in, in Manhattan, it's actually illegal to buy liquor afternoon on Sunday. What? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, like, how? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's even, you know, even just the idea of, like, you spend the morning in a house, you get in your car, you drive to a supermarket or to an ice rink or whatever you do the activity you meant to do you get back in your car maybe you go to a friend's place but like you sort of have the ability to like control what's happening in front of you whereas just the I don't know you know like as soon as you step outside and then you're surrounded by millions of other people um I honestly could not imagine that yeah but yeah it's my home that sounds that sounds terrifying and amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Because I walk very... outside and I'm surrounded by cats and maybe a horse. If they, <laughs> That's decide, if, cool. they decide, if they decide to take interest in me at that time, if they think I have cookies, they will come up to me and be like, hey. Hold on, wait. You live on a ranch? I would call it a ranchette. It's not really that big, but we do have horses here. That's so cool. What are their names? Oh, my gosh. I This is... Not the part of the podcast that I was expecting. Usually, usually <laughs> people are like, "Cool, you have horses." Now people want to know my, their names. Holy cow! Uh, well, we have Arabian horses, so they're very hot-blooded and they are very pretty, but okay. not not so much in temper. Um, but we we do shows with them, so we have no money in life. 
but we have one that his name is his show name is Royal because that's what they call him when he goes into the ring. But we call mm-hmm. him Boo Boo because <laughs> his personality is Boo Boo. <laughs> um, I have a miniature pony who is a jerk, but I love her all the same. She likes to walk onto my porch and wipe her nose on my door. <laughs> That's She's... so cool. No, it's not. It's so yes, mean. It oh my god. I've never had a miniature pony wipe its nose anywhere in my life. <laughs> I mean it's I mean it's kind of lovely to think about it. Horses are very lovely on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. Um and they just they're so full of personality and they're unfortunately smart and they're assholes a lot of times. Wow. Like that's just I mean... horses. That's so interesting. I find horses very funny. Horses Um, are very funny. And there's, like, a very specific culture around horses. Like, horse mm. culture is absolutely crazy. I'm, like, sit on the outside because my wife is a part of horse culture. And I just kind of feed her (laughs) love and passion. So you married into it? I married into it. I didn't know anything about horses until then. I didn't know what I was getting into. But I love her dearly. And I will... I, I will support her wherever she needs me to be. Were there horses at your wedding? Um, no, thank God. <laughs> we, we actually got married before it was legal in Texas, so we had to leave to go out to another state to get married. So we didn't have horses back then. I think wow. that was kind of... Actually, actually, I take that back. We did have a horse. We could not. We could not take her to Oklahoma with us. <laughs> Wow. I actually, until you said that, did not realize Oklahoma allowed gay marriage before Texas did. Yeah, yeah, they did. Texas did it with everybody else in the country when they said that you can't be a dick. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma was like a couple weeks later, or a couple weeks before that, we're just like, come on in. Okay. We're going to make it look like it was our choice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little off topic. I have more horses, but we're not going to go into that. I don't want people to know that I'm like a crazy animal lady. That they you insist. Already, that they already know that I am. <laughs> like, I will talk about horses like they are my children. I'll, even though I always describe myself as the stepmother because I just don't have the same kind of relationship with them that my wife has. <laughs> right. Well, you, you know, how could you? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. So wait. D- yeah. Okay, I won't keep asking questions about horses. Fine. You can start another <laughs> I podcast. Mean, we can definitely right. do that, but I know you have somewhere to be, and I'm like, mm. I will be here all day talking about these yeah. four-legged animals that I... They're, honestly, horses, if you need to know anything about them, they are walking death clumsies on toothpicks. Death clumsies? They're walking death clumsies on toothpicks because... Mm. Every, like, the craziest thing about horses is that everything below their knee, there is no muscle there. It's just tendons that pull up their hooves like marionette strings. And they're very clumsy creatures. They're very clumsy, and they will step on you on accident without even noticing that they stepped on you. And I do not appreciate (laughs) that happening. Yeah. Which probably causes that little wedge in our relationship, but... I mean, they won't mean to. Like, a lot of them are really gentle, and then some of them are just jerks on purpose. Are, do you, are wild horses clumsy, too? Or is it, like, when, 
like in domesticating the animal, we've managed to take out their sense of direction? I almost think a lot about a horse is that, you know, you, you have to teach it to respect your space. You have okay. to teach it that you can't step on me because I'm a much smaller creature. I don't weigh near as much as you. I'm an itty bitty. And if you step on me, you're going to really hurt me. And you have to teach a horse that because horses are used to being around other horses that don't feel the same thing. Like when they groom each other, they're like literally biting into each other. And they will do that to the point that the other horse screams and says, that's too hard. If they did that to us, they would like take off pieces of our skin without even knowing it. Wow. So it's kind of, I've never even thought about it. It's the, it's kind of like an unlikely animal friendship. Yeah. Like you, like when people slap horses, they're like, oh no, don't slap the horse. And it's like, you don't understand that horse barely felt that. Wow. That horse barely felt that you slapped them. So, I mean, I'm not for animal abuse by any means, but it's just like, you have to realize that they have a much thicker skin than we do. So sometimes it takes looking like we're beating something for it to be like hello listen to me that's wow wow huh yeah by all means don't go off and start beating your horse with a whip that's a whole nother thing but let's not get into that this crazy yeah. crazy horse culture wow yeah but the that's nice. horses are fun sounds like it Horses are fun. Horses are far more intelligent than people think we are. We are here to talk about your comic. What is happening? (laughs) Gosh, have another podcast some other time. (laughs) Go ahead, ask me something else. I'll make it about horses. No, 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 I'll I'll, I'll play. What what do you want to know? Okay, so tell us about your journey with making this comic. You said that you just kind of started doing it when your friends gave you the, you know, when your friends were like, hey, this is fantastic, which I love that. I love people supporting people and things and inspiring beautiful things. Um, so, but you started putting it online and did you, has this been a slow progression? Cause I saw that you had an article done or at least a recommendation from Autostraddle recently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I started it about 15 months ago in September of 2017. Um, and the the basic deal was I didn't really expect people to read it besides, like, my friends, but um, it felt like a way to keep myself accountable if I put it online. And um, I have a drawing tablet, like a pen tablet that I do other art on, so it wasn't difficult to start doing the comic. Um, and then... What was interesting is um, a a good friend of mine, again, from Australia, is a little bit internet famous. Um, She used to run a blog with a friend of hers where they talked about TV shows. And now she's like a YouTuber. Um, And so she kind of kindly retweeted the first few comics and got me like a couple hundred readers. Whoa. um, Which was really cool. And so, but it was a really, it was just so, it was so slow. It was the kind of thing of like, today I have 120 followers. Next week I have 121 followers. But I I just sort of kept doing it. Um, And I think the writing got better as I went along. And I got a little bit better at lettering and drawing. Um, And then the way I got the Autostraddle review 
which was like the first big boost in strangers reading this, um, was at Klexicon, which I know you're a fan of. Oh my goodness, uh, how? <laughs> uh, I, um, I went to the, I went to both of them, but I was at Klexicon last year, the second one, um, and I chatted with May Rude, who used to be the comics editor at Autostraddle, and I'd met her the year before, and, and she's just so nice, but I gave her like a sticker with the info of the comic on it and was just like, if you sometime ever felt like checking this out, I feel like Autostraddle would find it funny. And like three days later, she posted a really, really kind review of it. Um, And, but again, the title does so much of the work, like so many people who started following it and then retweeted it and then their followers started following it just the only comment they had was lesbian ants ha 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 um and i didn't even come up with the title uh my friend brenna did but <laughs> the it so that was basically it i think it's a really it's a fun and very specific premise and when people find out about it they tend to be excited and it's so yeah so autostraddle wrote a really nice review back in april and then um the only other thing that really got me readers was um, in August, I did a comic that had a joke about the Instagram feed personals. Do you know what that is? As I said, I live under a rock. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a very, very popular Instagram page that I think is turning into its own app or website where the, it's they just post... Um, like courier font, text-based personal ads, like, um, like by, but it's all of it is by um, people in the queer community. And I think specifically non cis male people. Um, But let me here, I'll find you an example. Um, It's huge. Yeah. So right now they have, let's see, they have 55,000 followers. Um, and some of them are just very sexual. A lot of them mention astrology. So, okay, um, this is this is this is classic personals. Um, the subject is big meanie, comma big weenie, and then the text is Polly Scorpio poet looking for makeouts and collabs. Um, Futch, so I guess feminine butch. Uh, Touch my throat by the creek and tell me about all the esoteric shit you're into. Let's talk X-Files. And then it has their Instagram name and the city they live in. Um, and Seems very specific. Yeah, I mean, they're very specific. But people are just, people love personals. And I found out about it this summer. I wrote a comic making fun of it. Not really making fun of it. Just, um, I had one of the ants post a personal ad. And... Um, Another one's like, I can't believe you're getting so many dates from that. You didn't mention astrology anywhere. <laughs> and personals posted it on their Instagram feed. And I got my readership doubled. I, so, like, I got, like, a thousand followers um, Jesus. on Instagram from that. Yeah. And so then from there, it's I've been gaining momentum a little bit more quickly. Um, but, yeah, it's basically, like, I... I, I write jokes about 
stuff that I find interesting, but then as more people have started reading it, I try to have the Venn diagram of things I find interesting and the things people who read the comic find interesting overlap as much as possible. Um, Every now and then I'll do a strip where I know that I'm the only one who really is the beneficiary of this joke. But but yeah, there's all like most of the comics about dating and crushes probably wouldn't get written except that people like those the best, but they are honest and like, they are jokes that I enjoy, but it would probably exclusively be a comic about television shows if I had my druthers. (laughs) I mean, you could say a lot about television shows, but there's always like that, there is, I'm always scared about like copyright laws or something, or like saying something where somebody's like, yeah, we want you to take that down for some crazy crap that's mm. happening. I don't know why I'm afraid of that. I'll be like, I'm so small. I don't see them caring. I know a little bit about that um, because my friend is in law school and she's explained the difference between copyright and trademark to me. But Oh my God, explain it to me. I'm still lost. Okay, let's see. So trademark exists to protect consumers and copyright exists to protect creators. So when you copyright like an idea or, you know, some type of product or a title or whatever it is, the goal is basically to say, I got here first. Um, But in terms of things violating your copyright, um, that it's more, okay, I really could be messing this up, but I think it's basically like copyright violations have more to do with like, are you infringing on, um, someone's assertion that like this is their territory um with trademark infringement which is what you come across when you go on like Redbubble and you have people selling super mario gear that nintendo didn't make or whatever trademark exists to protect a consumer so when a concept a character a series whatever is trademarked that um is there so that a consumer won't buy a bottle of something that says Coca-Cola, drink it, get poisoned, thinking they were drinking Coca-Cola, but really they were drinking formaldehyde or whatever. So, um, so you can't infringe on someone. So when you talk about like, um, cartoon, like comic strips that have TV characters or TV references in it, you can only infringe on someone's trademark if a reader could uh, legitimately think that the thing that you did was um, done by the trademark holder. So if I started, if I took the font of the CW's Flash, like the font they use on their website, and I took, um, like, uh, I, I basically, if I absorbed their whole, like, graphic design, and I did hyper-realistic drawings, and you know, did my best to like make something seem like I, and and I made a full comic book about the flash and I put DC's logo on it and I tried to sell it in comic book stores. I would be infringing on their trademark because a consumer could think that they were reading a DC comic when they weren't. But if I draw a comic strip where the flash is in it and the comic strip is called my two lesbian aunts and the art looks a certain way and nobody would ever think that DC had asked me to do that. So it's not a, a trademark violation. Yes, I am learning so much. I love it. Yeah. 
I love um, learning. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I'm definitely leaving some things out, but that's the gist of it. And that is why I really go to town talking about TV shows in this <laughs> I mean, that's good. I mean, that's that's very relatable. People relate so much to the things they find on TV all the freaking time. And especially now that there's more queer characters on TV. It's just, like, absolutely crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's... And, and that's a really lovely thing about being at Clexicon for me was that um, I had a queer community at home but I didn't have a community of queer people who were obsessed with television the way that I am. And that space is just like, that's, that's the space. It's just a thousand or 2000, um, LGBTQ folks who like are the one in their friend group who can talk for two hours about an episode of TV they saw a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I definitely feel, I can't, I swear to God, I talk about Clexicon every freaking podcast. I don't know how it happens. I'm so excited for yeah, it. Yeah, it comes up a lot. Are you, you're going this year? I, I am. I'm so excited. I am. Okay. Oh, great. There was our Clexicon mention for <laughs> Um, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll have a really lovely time. I'm super excited. Are you going to go? I don't think I am. I, I, I loved it and I made friends there and I would love to see them again, but Las Vegas is bleak and I don't get to travel that often. And I feel like doing three subsequent or consecutive annual trips to Las Vegas for a week is like pushing it. Um, but I, I mean, I, if I, if I don't end up going, I know I'm I'm going to be really bummed that I'm not there. So I don't know. Well, it's, yeah. It's, I hope you are there. I hope I'd be able to meet you in person. But if not, <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I couldn't go last year because my plumbing exploded under my house. But. Oh, my gosh. I love Texas. It's weather is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Either way, you'll have a great time. Um did that answer your question about the comic? <laughs> I, I believe it did. I believe it did. Okay. My, other, my other questions for you are, when was the first time you realized queer is a thing? You didn't talk a lot about your own life. Right. Do you um, want to talk about that? I just don't think it's that interesting, but I can. Nice. I, I, um, I really, you know, like, I, I think that a lot of people... Um, who grew up in spaces more starved for um, queer representation, maybe can pinpoint a moment of like, you know, like that ring of keys. Like I saw this person and I was like, oh my God, that's who I want to be or whatever. But um, I don't know. I grew up in Greenwich Village, which is like the gayest neighborhood in New York City. So um, like I literally grew up across the street from New York's LGBT community center. Um, wow. But at the same time, my parents didn't have any gay friends and That's no weird. one in my family is gay. I'm pretty sure who's older than me. Um, and, uh, or queer in any way. And at the schools that I went to, there were no, I think there was there was one kid like five years younger than me who had two moms, but 
thinking about it, like, I didn't even understand what that meant. Like, I felt like I, um, my parents were divorced and, and I was mostly raised by my mom. Um, and so I feel like when I heard about someone having two moms, what I assumed was it was like my parents where there was like one mom and then another mom and they traded shifts. Um, like, so yeah, I just, I didn't have any, I, I really didn't have very much exposure to queer stuff in my life. And then, but at the same time, I, like, I, I knew what being gay was at some point. So yeah, it's, I can't, I really can't give you a great answer for that. Um, you no, know, this, this is a great answer in itself. Cause you were, you were right there. You were right next to it. And then you still didn't quite grasp it because nobody was talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing, what I guess was ultimately very healthy for me and I was very lucky about is that, um, I think what made it tough was that as soon as I figured out that I was gay, I felt like I felt very much like very fixated on that and very like I have no one in my life I can talk to about this. And, and I just sort of had a lot of like um, sort of like the experience of being closeted was um, really mentally intense because I genuinely had no outlet for like understanding where I could um, begin to like start communicating these parts of myself. But what was healthy was that um, I, like growing up in such a liberal place, I never really had any shame about it. Um, there was no, I, like so many people have stories um, where they're like, I figured out that I liked girls at this point, but I knew it was bad and I didn't want to do that. And, um, that wasn't really like, I, I got, I started getting crushes on girls when I was maybe 14 and I didn't question it for a second. I just like, I, I didn't even tie it to any larger thought about identity. I was just like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. And I sort of understand that I'm not going to tell other people that I am, but this isn't bad or good. Like when I remember I came out to my brother, um, when I was like 17 and he was, and he's older than me and he was, he was chill about it, but he, um, we talked for a while and he was like, did you, have you ever tried liking boys? Like, have you ever like tried to not do this in more of a genuine, no, like in a, in a really genuine, he was wondering. Um, and I was like, you know, like I, it never has occurred to me, like not to think this way, you know? So, so I definitely didn't grow up internalizing homophobia and shame in the way so many people do, which was, I mean, so I'm so lucky for that. Um, so yeah, it was sort of just like a vague decontextualized, but shame-free experience, I guess, which, yeah, which is lucky. But which is still really interesting. It's still really interesting to see the different kind of environments that people grow up in and how that forms how they identify themselves. And it's also really interesting to have somebody that grew up right next to it, but still didn't quite get it at first because nobody talked about it. That just goes to show that we still need representation and we still need people to talk about things. We can't just sit in the shadows and just exist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was even, it was at the point where like, 
when I was a kid, I was very much a tomboy. I, everything except for having a short haircut, I did. Like I, I played baseball. I, all of my friends were boys. Um, I had a very like butch fashion sense. And um, I, w- it, I really got like, I felt personally affronted by the idea um, that girls were supposed to comport themselves in any certain way. And like, I, my heroes were like the Powerpuff Girls and the Pink Power Ranger and, and like the entire <laughs> cast of Dragon Ball Z. Just like, I loved the idea of just like being tough and fighting and like, yeah, like rough and tumble. And, um, but that was completely divorced in my mind from any concept of gayness. And, and in my parents' minds too, like when I came out, nobody was like, oh my God, I've known forever. Like, I'm so glad you finally told me. Like, it really was just, um, yeah. Like, like queerness was just sort of not a part of our household. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, yeah, part of the reason why I'm so, I think, I love television and my parents both love television. Um, and that's just something I've genetically inherited. (laughs) Um, but I know that a huge reason why I'm, why I care so much about TV is that like, that's the first place I saw queer characters and, and like girls kissing and, and storylines, um, that like made my heart ache because I cared about them so much. And, yeah. Yeah. TV, TV matters. Hell yeah. Woot woot. <laughs> that was good. That was fantastic. I, it's, it's so good to hear that from other people. Like it's, there's something, there's something so great about hearing other people's experiences and being able to be like, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Do you mean like specifically with regards to television or uh, specifically with television and specifically with having no one to talk to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, um, that's, that's, that's a big thing about this comic. Like, and I think with all comedians uh, to some degree, um, however you're delivering your jokes, there's this underlying element of like, this is who I am and I'm serving it in a fun form for you to listen to. And then I want you to laugh. And that's like you affirming that like who I am is a relatable experience to you. Um, but, but I think particularly with this comic strip, like, Um, I find it very fun when I write about really personal things or, um, kind of queer experiences and TV obsessions and things that I assume are exclusive to my own experience. And then hearing other people be really excited about that too, um, is, I mean, it's fantastic. And that's the whole point. Like the, the, the beauty of being in a community of people who've all dealt with the, um, difficulty of that, like isolation from these really basic experiences, um, is that you can, you can commiserate about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have more questions. I always have more questions. Please. 
that's not the right adjective I meant to use. <laughs> yeah. It does not matter. <laughs> what is language? I don't even know. <laughs> but you probably know. You mastered in Latin. <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit. I You don't want... You, truly, I... I see a tangent approaching and I will jump on that, so. Abort, abort, abort. We're not talking about Latin. Okay. So with your characters, uh, do you feel attached to them? Or more like, have you really explored them through the, continue, the goodness gracious, through the path of making your comic? Can't word right yeah. now. Yeah, I am. Um... You know, it's tough about that. This is both my fault and other people's fault, but nobody really knows that this comic strip has three main characters who all have very specific personalities. Um, It's my fault because they all look the same because I thought (laughs) it would be funny if the, the, the ants all looked the same. Um, But the thing about having a web comic and particularly one, like I'm not popular within art Instagram or comics Instagram or Tumblr or these spaces where like, like there's so many comics writers who are really beloved and whose work um, people like really obsessively read. And I'm definitely more popular with like, just like queer people and also people who like comedy. So this is all just to say, no one really pays that much attention to my comic strip. So I, no, I mean, in a, in a, ser- like, like, good friends of mine who've been, who've read almost every strip from the beginning still don't know, like, the names of all the characters or, like, wouldn't, um, wouldn't naturally be like, oh, right, Angie's the one that's obsessed with television and Peggy's the one with anxiety. Like, um, so, so I'm very, very consistent with, the characterization and I kind of have been since I started the one on the left is Angie um she's really um she's like goofy um hopeful always the one who has the unrealistic crushes um yeah the one I, I know really her is the girl hungry one yeah yeah she's thirsty um and <laughs> Uh, and, and just like really much divorced from a sense of like, um, like stakes or reality. Um, Peggy is on the right and she's the more like any of the comics that are about feeling sad, feeling anxious, getting down on yourself, um, or just having too many neuroses, like over that, like one of my favorite comic strips I've written for Peggy is she finds out her ex was in the Olympics and she's like, Oh, I'm losing the breakup. Um, (laughs) So that's Peggy. And then Sandro is a third character who like Angie's always on the left. Peggy's always on the right. You can tell which one Sandro is because they have mandibles. So like the little um, uh, like pincer thingies on an ant's mouth um, or near an ant's mouth and they're non-binary and um, a real grump. Um, so <laughs> most of the Sandra jokes have to do with them, like, and they're very intelligent. So it's like a lot of like being dismissive of Angie's nonsense. Um, for Christmas last year, I wrote a little thread about how Sandro went to a snow globe because it was the only way 
that they could get some peace and quiet. Like they went on vacation inside of a empty plastic snow globe. Um, so yeah. So anyway, I'm very consistent about that. It doesn't bother me that other people are not as encyclopedic about understanding the characterization. Um, but it's really, um, when, if you ask if what you asked if, if my characters are important to me or if they're beloved, important yeah so so I think um I wouldn't say that they're important to me in the same way that penicillin is important but (laughs) that um if you're a writer and you're writing character-based jokes then you have to understand who your characters are in order to write good jokes so even if no one reading the strip is going into it thinking about the ant on the left, the ant on the right, this is what I expect of them. Because again, they look exactly the same and there are really so few visual cues to help keep you like, um, uh, from like distinguishing them. Um, I I would be completely unable to write jokes with a point of view to them if I didn't keep track of who the characters are. I mean, it sounds like you put a lot of thought into it. Like you describe these ants like they're people. I mean, not- yeah, well, they're, yeah, I mean, the only, I, I put a lot of thought into most of the stuff that I do, because I'm a very neurotic person, but um, I, yeah, I, I sort of think of them as the, like, three dueling parts of my brain, um, so, like, basically, when I write a joke, it'll stem, sometimes um, I'll think of a situation and then I'll just put the ants in the situation and that's the strip. So like there last year, there was a series where the three of them went to a doctor. So it was just like, how would Angie act at the doctor? How would Peggy act at the doctor? How would Sandra act at the doctor? But generally what happens is that I'll have a thought that is so deeply irrational. And then instead of telling myself, um, no, Lisa, that's not true for X, Y, Z reason, I'll just roll with it. So like, um, so, like, it, to give you an example of that, um, uh, a, a pretty popular comic I did was um, Angie gets fired from work because she doesn't come in for two days because she's tweeting to try save Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm-hmm. um, after it was canceled. And, right, that was just, like, at some point I thought like, okay, what are the things I would be willing to give up to get this TV show back on the air? And then I was like, okay, well, if I were Angie and my brain did not have the parts of it that keep it grounded, what would I do? Oh, it's certainly more important than going into work today. That's a comic strip. Or like um, all the comics about crushes, like, um, you know, there's, there's a comic where Angie ends it by saying, um, I've got a crush and I know that in the future this will drive me insane. But right now all I can think is like, we're going to name our firstborn August for the month we fell in love. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, and that came from a place of like, I, um, had emailed, someone had emailed me about working on a project with me and I looked her up and was just, I was like, oh my God, she's cute. And then I was like, okay, instead of shutting this down, what if I let my brain 
be like, she's cute. Let me find her LinkedIn page. Let me find, like, let me think about the ways that, like, we're going to get married. And then I wrote a comic about it. So it's, um, and it's the same with Peggy. Anytime I'm feeling down on myself or overly analytical about something, anytime I'm a very, in the spirit of a New York City kid, I'm very intellectually superior. Like, I, I have a huge ego about that and I'm a true coastal elite. So like anytime I have those kinds of thoughts, I try to make it into a Sandro strip. Um, so yeah. Um, I, if, if I can intellectualize it a little bit more, um, in, in clown theory, which is actually a thing. Um, like if, if, somebody went and studied comedy and they learned about clowns they would find out that um all clowns are considered to be one of three types so there's like brain heart and gut um so like a a, you can basically the idea is that you can like play and have fun moments either through being like intellectually curious and stimulated by the world around you just eager for experience or like really emotionally invested in like everything. Um, and so like, that's also sort of how I think about it. I, you lost me at clown theory. Cause I was uh, like, I'm what? so sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm under a rock here. I don't know. I, I know a lot unless it's horses yeah. apparently. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It's literally like, if you, if you think about like a birthday clown, like as, as simple as that, like, like the, or a clown in a circus or whatever like it'll either be someone who like sees a butterfly and starts crying when it flies away from them like that would be a heart or sees a butterfly and like wants to know more and gets into antics and like trying to learn about it or you know or communicate with it or whatever that would be a brain or sees a butterfly and um just like runs towards it and then falls down a hill or something you know that would be gut so it's just the idea is that like um if you're if you are thinking about the kinds of ways that characters can be motivated um often that like deep down motivation either comes from a place of like curiosity intellectually um like love or hurt like emotions or just sort of like um, an eagerness to like experience something. It, I don't know if that makes any more sense. I it, it actually does. It does make a lot okay. more sense, and it also means that there is a lot more to this comic that you basically described as something simple that you can do in a day. Because <laughs> well, I don't believe you yeah. anymore. <laughs> it's but you know it's if you um, the thing about writing or humor right like you could describe anything that you do on a fundamental intellectual level that would make it seem so much more complicated than it is um but you don't actively think about those things that's why when you and I know this because I learned how to drive when I was late at, at a late point in my life I mean like when you learn how to drive it seems impossible you have to think about 700 different things at once um like I remember my mom saying you have to check your mirrors every three seconds. And I was like, how am I supposed to look at the road if I'm also looking at three mirrors every three seconds? But like, you you know, once you get used to it and then you can go through your day and reach a point where you're like screaming along to 
Taylor Swift songs and also <laughs> keeping yourself alive. Like, um, so that's, yeah, I don't, I don't put on a monocle and like sit down to write a joke and take out some theory books and, um, you know, really struggle with it. But those are just to answer the question about like characters. Those are the underlying things for each of them. That's just amazing though. That, um, I think I think we have so much information here and you actually gave us a lot of wonderful insight about your comic and what it does for you. I I personally love the comic a lot and I like pretty much sat there and laughed for about a good 10 minutes longer than was necessary about the comic that actually really shows that they are ants. Like one of them had a dog. And she mm, yeah. was, she, they were talking about it and she laid beside it and it was like an actual full-size dog. I just laughed for like five freaking minutes longer than I was Thank supposed you. to at it. And it was so funny. Yeah, there's, I've written a couple and she has a dog named Peanut who's huge. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep, um, it's just that so was, funny. I think it's credit where it's due. I'm pretty sure my mom suggested that. It was after I adopted Ruru and couldn't stop talking about it. And she was like, why don't you do comics about the ants having pets and I was like well I don't even know how that would work like what would their pets be like fleas and and she was like no just make it an actual cat um but uh I thought a dog would be funnier <laughs> a dog is funnier I'm like I'm just questioning yeah. like which one of your characters would have a cat yeah yeah I don't know I I I think it really like again no literally no one else who reads the comic would uh think about this but it really jives with Angie's like sense of being divorced from reality like <laughs> obvious like where does she live where how <laughs> and yeah but yeah you know pets are great that's so funny I just I just love it just it was like breaking the fourth wall while just <laughs> just reminding us that this is actually real <laughs> Yeah, so I the, the most successful comic strips that I've done are the ones that simultaneously have humor about being gay and about being an aunt. Um, so let me see if I can. Oh, like there's one. Um, there's one where it's uh, that I wrote at the beginning of spring, and one of the aunts says to the other, um, I think Angie says to Peggy, "It's spring." I'm so excited because soon the picnics will start. Um, and Peggy goes, I've always imagined I'd meet my future wife in a pudding cup. Um, <laughs> it was like cute, but also their aunts. Um, so funny. Yeah. So I tried it. I tried to do jokes about there was a really early on, like a month into doing the comic. I had like six or seven strips in a row where Angie runs for aunt mayor. Um, and, has her like main platform uh, or like the, the the center of her platform is um that if all of the ants piled together then they could go to McDonald's <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, uh, so yeah I, I like jokes about ants too I, it just it just can get a little the one thing I don't have a lot of patience for are comic strips where they're mostly puns and I think that getting too um like diving too deep into like oh it's jokes because they're tiny but they talk like they're people um 
like falls into that same sphere of humor as, as like pun territory too fast. So I try to, I try to do it sparingly. It's really, really funny. I just, I need to find, do you have a separate website? I probably should have freaking just looked into this because I just want to read them and scrolling through Twitter is yeah. an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You, so you can find them on Instagram. Um, you don't need to be, you don't need to have an Instagram account to look at the page. Um, but it's Instagram dot com slash my two lesbian aunts and that is just every single comic strip in a row um and then I also have a printed book um that makes it even easier to read and it's the first hundred strips how many strips Um, have you got going let's see Fridays was number 161 wow that's a lot you know it's a lot in the sense of it's more than anybody else has written about lesbian ants, but <laughs> I don't, everything is so relative. Like so many web comics writers do one a day, um, for years. Like I, one of, there's a, there's a really popular, um, queer and trans web comic called, uh, close your eyes, look at the mountains. I don't know if you know it. I do. Um, I'm going to be real. I don't. It's, I think you'd like it. It's, I mean, it's very cute. It's, it's a four panel comic strip, but, um, the writer June, she does like, they're not, they're not like verbal jokes the way that mine's are. It's a lot of like bizarro gags. Um, like one of, one of her strips just went a little bit viral. Um, and it was just, it's like, uh, one of the characters was like, I love my girlfriend so much. I'm going to text her an emoji of socks. And then... Oh, my gosh. I saw that one. Did you saw that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, anyway, the point is, she's been writing... She's a little more sporadic now, but she, for at least three years, I think, wrote a comic strip every day, if not more. So, like, on the one hand, 160 feels like a lot. But on the other, I'm constantly like, I'm not doing this enough. I haven't written enough. I'm not there yet. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's just imposter syndrome talking. I guess so. But I, I feel you because I, I I feel the same thing. I put podcasts out every two weeks and they're like, why don't you do it every week? And I'm like, I mm. don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I just don't. Even though it's a goal that I want to one day is just to be able to have enough that I can do that and just be able to fill that gap that I haven't before. But I think both of us speaking to myself here but mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's still amazing what we do I still it's amazing that we keep on to it that we've continued to go to it especially when it's something when we live in a world where it's constantly like oh if you're not making money off of it then it's not worth doing right I think that's valid and absolutely true and also like you know you you can only do what you're capable of. Like, uh, um, I think it was Jenny Connor, who's Lena Dunham's writing partner and producing partner for a long time, who said, like, like the reason why people have so much trouble getting things done is because, like, you feel guilty and then you overcompensate. You know, you're like, I'm going to go to the gym every day for the next six months and I'll be jacked. And then um, that's more than you can handle. So you end up going once or twice and then out of guilt you don't you know it's like it's better to set a pace and a and a schedule that you can maintain because yeah that's how you accumulate the body of work and like are able to be consistent and build skills absolutely absolutely like 
I we could keep on this conversation literally all day, but I know you have somewhere to be. Uh, uh, yeah, you do, and I've kept you longer than I said I would. But let me let me just ask you one last question. I promise this will be the last one from me. I'm having fun. Go I'm... ahead. <laughs> Fantastic. That's always good to hear. Sometimes I talk and talk and talk, and I'm just like, what are we doing here? We're what? talking about Garfield. We're talking <laughs> about Garfield, damn it. And that's so nice to talk to somebody else who loves Garfield. I don't know why <laughs> I haven't run into another person. That, where, where do I live in? Where do I live that this is a thing in my life where I don't run into other people who like Garfield? Maybe you should get a bumper sticker or a <laughs> yes. horse trailer sticker. It's just yeah. like honk for Garfield. I'm sure that's going to go over well. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just imagining don't, that now. Don't even buy one. Just make one. <laughs> this is honk for Garfield and see what happens. Oh my god. That sounds terrifying. That sounds really terrifying, actually. That's so funny. But, um, okay, so I have what is called a guest-to-guest question, where my guest from the last podcast asks a guest from the current one. Um, no, I'm excited. What's my cue? Okay, so um, Harriet from our last podcast had brought upon the question of if you could take a single, just a, a single middle-aged woman character from any show and give her her own show, her own spinoff, who would it be? Specifically a middle-aged woman? Yes, because we talked a lot about, like, the difference in age, like how women over 50 just, or women over 40 just stop being on TV. Yeah. Um, okay. Middle-aged woman from any TV show. I think it could be, I think it could be a movie too. I think we could spread it out. I don't care about movies. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I'm I'm like whirring through an encyclopedia of the TV shows that I watch. Um, I this is interesting because I love moms. Um, like as a like in 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 a in culture. I think um, I think mom Same. characters are really fun. Um, hmm. Middle-aged person from, that's such a good question. Oh, I wish you'd asked me to make a list of every TV show I like before this interview. <laughs> so, so I could have the answer more at the ready. No, that's okay. Um, oh, okay. Well, so I think, have you ever seen 30 Rock? Yes. Well, okay. maybe one or two episodes. I don't, I don't watch TV very much anymore, sadly. Um, I think, I think that 30 Rock is like the, the smartest and funniest TV show ever made. Um, and all of their, all of their side characters are so good. Um, and they do this incredible thing where they have, um, they have celebrities on who, like play sort of distorted caricatures of themselves. Um, and I think that I would like to see a spinoff of, um, of, oh, who's, who's, uh, of, would you say Padma Lakshmi is middle-aged or is she too young? I think 
any, oh, if we're talking Hollywood logic, any woman over 35 is middle-aged. Let me see how old she is. Uh, because 30 for them. I don't know. Hollywood's a strange. Okay. Pad- oh, Padma's 48. Okay. So Padma Lakshmi is on an episode of 30 Rock, and she, um, she pitches Jack that she wants to go into business with him and tries to get her in to in tries to get him to invest in sandwich bags, um, like plastic bags. And she's like, it's, it's a thing. I invented it. Um, I think her character is great. And I'm, uh, and I also love Gail Simmons. Um, in, in college, Gail Simmons did a, who, Oh, she's another judge on top chef. If you didn't know. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's so cute. And, uh, (laughs) She had an ad for City Harvest, um, which is like a food charity that was a full page, just like photo of her in the New York Times. And my mom mailed it to me and my roommate and I like put it on our door. Um, Okay, so I would like to see a not reality show, but um, scripted spinoff about Padma and Gail um, trying to go into business together. But they're playing themselves, but it's like satire. Oh my god! There you go. I love it. I love it. I stand by it. I mean, have I told you how much I love celebrity chefs, especially oh, no. the ones that judge competitions? I have an enormous fondness for um, Amanda Freitag and uh, Gornishelli. I just forgot her first name. I feel so bad for myself. That's so cool. I I used to work with, um, or I used to work for. Um, someone who was one of her one of Amanda Freitag's uh colleagues holy shit (laughs) (laughs) apparently I love women who seem nice on the surface and then they will completely critique your work into the ground (laughs) well I mean the thing about being a chef is that like being a female chef is um uh the 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 food service industry is horrible and like cruel and physically taxing and people are just I mean people are sexist and patronizing everywhere of course but um that's kind of why I got out of pastry that um I just didn't I didn't care about it enough to deal with the like verbal abuse so the so the women who become good chefs are like the toughest women I know I believe it yeah I absolutely believe it I god I hate the patriarchy <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> Anyway, what would you do if you had a guest who was like, I love the patriarchy? I would be like, you need to explain in detail for me. <laughs> and then have the whole podcast be like, okay, let's listen to the other side here. But, I mean, it would have to be like logical. I couldn't just listen to someone say, well, that's the way it is for 10 minutes because I can get that from talking to just about anyone down here and I hate it. Right. Um, but God, I don't know. I have yet to run into a difficult guest and I am very blessed for everyone who comes on here. I'm very thankful. So, but for my next guest, what question will you leave them? I would love to know um, if they grew up with any queer or trans people in their families. Um, That's a good question. And um, what that relationship was like, or if they didn't, um, if their friends had like I have I have so many friends who have gay aunts and I'm so deeply jealous of them and I tell them all the time um so I'd love to know like yeah what their relationship with that is me too I am super jealous ain't nobody in my family queer well my mom sort of but she does she refuses to acknowledge it 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Like she'll, she'll openly talk about, you know, well, scratch that. She won't openly talk about. She'll m bring mentions to the women she's had relationships with, but she always follows it up with, "Yeah, but women are crazy." Wow. <laughs> she'll, she'll follow. But that's up. your mom. That's that's like a that's like a real connection there. That's so interesting. I I don't know. I think she. I don't think she thinks about her bisexuality is valid because she loves men so much. Mm. So I think, I guess she doesn't think about it on a form of a spectrum. I guess she just, she's like, you know, what? I'm just going to say that I'm straight because I like men and that's just the way it is, even though she's had relationship with women. So I don't know. The, huh. older, the older generation I find when they're not like solidified in being queer have a lot bigger issue with changing their labels over time, which I sure. get, which I get. Yeah, that's so, all I can imagine, I don't mean to trivialize this very, all I can imagine is your mom, the way you intonated women are crazy, that she'd be like, look, I love men and women be shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that sounds really hilarious. I love it. I wish I could, man, I wish that was the way the conversation went. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry about that. No, um, don't never apologize for making me laugh. I love it. No, I just yeah, it's it's disappointing when our parents aren't able to like have the conversations we want them to have. I don't know. I I don't know what to say about that. But you have places to be, so why don't you know where they can find you? Well, so I mentioned it a little, but um, this webcomic exists. On Twitter, the handle is at lesbians, so like the word lesbian with um, T-S at the end. Um, it's on Instagram and newly on Tumblr at my two lesbian ants, again, ants like the bugs. And then we have a store where um, I've, I sell a print collection of the first hundred strips it's a really lovely book. An artist at a con told me this past summer. He said, um, you know, this was self-published, but it doesn't look like it was, um, which was a really lovely compliment to get. So anyway, I sell a book and some enamel pins and prints and stickers, and that's all available at um, mytwolesbianants.bandcamp.com. Um, you know... I'm not that interesting personally. I, if, if you followed me on Twitter, it would only be like, honestly, my most popular tweet, it's just jokes that are so specific to me. Um, my most popular tweet ever was from a couple weeks ago when I said for Christmas this year, I'm giving my mom a framed ad for the cigarettes she smoked while pregnant with me, <laughs> <laughs> which I did. How did she respond? <laughs> She laughed really hard. Um, uh, she still smokes them. Marriott Ultralights. But, um, yeah. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, th those, are, those are the ants. Am I allowed to follow you on Twitter? Oh, yeah. I feel like me and you have a lot of the same sense of humor. Like... I mean, go for it. My name's Lisa Franklin. You can f anyone can find me. I oh, and I host a comedy show in New York. If I don't know where what the geography of your listenership is, but everywhere. 
I'm a stand-up comic and I host a monthly comedy show called Runnin' on Empty at La Poisson Rouge, which is a really lovely concert space and gallery in Greenwich Village. It's uh, monthly. You can look it up. It's a, it's a cool show. I should have asked you more about the comedy scene, but we are out of time. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> another time. Well, but I'm always excited for return guests. So if you ever feel like you want to come back and you're like, hey, I have some stuff to talk about. I have a new project to announce, yada, yada. Feel free to come back because I will welcome Hello. you with open arms. Thank you. I would love to do that. I can come visit you in Texas and we can do an interview while riding horses. Oh, dear <laughs> God. <laughs> so dangerous. I See how clumsy they really are. I mean, horses... Oh my gosh, it's a whole nother podcast. I actually don't ride our horses. That's completely my wife's thing. I just mm -hmm. I just pet them and tell them I don't have cookies, go away. You should try interview one of them one day. Oh, <laughs> See what they, happens. They will eat the mic. You don't understand. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> they will I have a horse that one time I, we were eating a ham sandwich. And normally most creatures will smell things before they put them in their mouth. And he just took half of that ham sandwich and ate it. Horses do not eat meat. <laughs> I will tell you right now. Um, we are both surprised he did not die. Um, wow, I actually didn't know horses were not carnivores. I mean, could uh, you imagine how much more terrifying they would be if they were? I guess. I, I really can't emphasize enough what a, a life shielded from the realities of nature I lead. <laughs> If I were to draw you a horse right now, it would not be a horse. I mean, you could draw one and say that Angie drew it, and I will laugh <laughs> so hard. Oh, my God, I can't even. Okay, I'll send you that later. Oh yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for talking to us. I hope your toddler will not be upset that you were late. Yes, I would like to clarify that I don't have a baby. <laughs> I'm hanging out with a buddy of mine. But, um, but still. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he'll mind. They're in the park right now. I'll go find them. All right. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. You're hilarious. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my first ever podcast. I really? feel very. Yeah. Well, I I, people it. don't knock down my door asking me <laughs> to, to be interviewed. Oh, um, that's a shame. More people need yeah. to know about you and what you're doing because it's hilarious and I love it. They really should. I mean, my the only thing that keeps me going every day is a profound, um, like, instinct that everything I do is hilarious, and the only reason I'm not more successful is that people don't know about me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as I keep that going, you know. Well, I hope I hope our conversation helped fuel you for another day. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I really I needed this ego boost. <laughs> You're very welcome. Come back anytime. I'm really good at them. Oh, awesome. Uh, well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too.